0: Listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name throughout time. You have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria teaches us how to pray and meditate, teach us how to imitate the virtues of our lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 284, and we are reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 4, Paragraphs 48 to 57. 48 The vigilant mother, empowered by the right hand of her divine son, took care of that happy family, in order to bring all their works up to the highest perfection. After her descent from heaven, she instructed the apostles, yet she never entered upon this duty without first being requested by St. Peter or St. John. Through her prayers, she moved her divine son to inspire them with these commands, in order that she might obey them as vicars and priests. Thus all things happened as arranged by the mother of humility, and she obeyed as a handmaid, laying aside all pretense to her dignity as queen and lady, and making no use of her sovereignty and dominion. She obeyed as a servant and conducted herself as if she were an inferior, and in this spirit she conferred with the apostles and the other faithful. During those days she explained to them the mystery of the blessed trinity in terms most exalted and mysterious yet suited to the understanding of all. She explained also the mystery of the hypostatic union and those of the Incarnation, adding many others which they had already been taught by the Master, telling them at the same time that they would be enlightened by the Holy Ghost for a deeper understanding of all these things. 49. She taught them how to pray mentally, insisting on the excellence and the necessity of that kind of prayer, how the principal duty and most noble occupation of the rational creature was to raise itself by the understanding and the will, above all, that is created to the knowledge and love of God, and that no other object or occupation should ever be preferred or should ever interrupt this duty, so as not to deprive the soul of this supreme benefit and of the beginning of eternal life and happiness. She taught them also how to thank the Eternal Father for having given us his Son for our Redeemer and Master, and for the love with which the Lord redeemed us at the cost of his passion and death. She exhorted them to give thanks to God for having singled them out as his apostles and his companions and as the founders of his holy church. Such were the exhortations and teachings with which the Heavenly Mother at that time enlightened the hearts of the eleven apostles and the other disciples, and by which she prepared and disposed them for the reception of the Holy Ghost and his divine effects. As she saw into the inmost recesses of their heart, and knew the natural condition and character of each one, she accommodated herself to the necessities, the bent of mind, and the graces of each, in order to fill them with joy, consolation, and constancy in the practice of virtue. She exhorted them to persevere in humble prostrations and other actions of worship and reverence in adoring the greatness and majesty of the Most High. 50. Every morning and evening she approached the apostles to receive their benediction, first that of St. Peter as their chief, then of St. John, and of the rest according to their age. At first they all shrank from performing this ceremony, beholding in her their queen and the mother of their master Jesus. But the most prudent lady insisted that all should bless her as ministers and priests of the Most High, explaining to them how the highest reverence and respect was due to them on account of their supreme dignity and office." As this was a contest of humility, it was certain that the mother of humility would be victorious, and the disciples would be overcome and instructed by her example. Beside the words of Mary were so sweet and persuasive for the moving the hearts of those first believers, that she urged them on with a heavenly force, and enlightened them to practice the highest perfections of virtue and holiness. Perceiving these wonderful effects upon themselves, they wonderingly commented upon them, Among each other, saying, Truly, in this pure creature we have found again the teaching and consoling doctrine of which we are deprived by the absence of her Son, our Master. Her words and doings, her counsels, her sweet and gentle intercourse teach us and draw us in the same way as the conversation of the Lord when He lived in our midst. Our hearts are inflamed by the teachings and exhortations of this wonderful being, as with those of Jesus our Savior. There is no doubt that he, as the omnipotent God, has deposited in the mother of the only begotten his own divine wisdom and grace. We can now dry our tears, since, for our instruction and consolation, he has given us such a mother and mistress. And since he has left with us this living ark of the testament, wherein he has placed for us his law, his wonderful staff, and the sweetest manna for our sustenance and comfort. Hebrews 9.4 51. If the holy apostles and the other firstborn children of the church had recorded in writing what they saw as eyewitnesses of her deeds of eminent wisdom, what they heard and what passed in their intercourse with her for so long a time, then we might be filled with higher conceptions of the holy and heroic works of the Sovereign Lady. We would then see that as well in the doctrine which she taught, as in the wonders which she wrought her most holy son, had communicated to her a virtue, which, although coming from the Lord as from its fountain, Yet in the heavenly lady was in a certain manner divine and was distributed from her as from an aqueduct to all the mortals. The apostles, however, had the happiness and good fortune of drinking the waters of the Savior and of the teachings of his purest mother in their very fount, receiving them in a sensible manner and thus preparing them for their office and ministry in founding the Holy Church and planting the evangelical faith throughout the world. 52. By the treason and death of that unhappy one among all mortals, his episcopacy, as David says, has become vacant, and it was necessary to provide some other one worthy of the apostolate. Psalm 108.8. For it was the will of the Most High that the number twelve, which had been determined upon by the Master of Life as the proper number when he chose his apostles, should also be their number at the coming of the Holy Ghost. This decree of the Lord was explained to the apostles by the Blessed Mary in one of her instructions. All of them acceded to it, and they asked her, as their mother and mistress, to choose one who should seem worthy and most fit for the apostolate. The heavenly lady knew beforehand who was to be chosen, for the names of the twelve, including St. Matthias, were written in her heart, as is said in the third chapter. But in her profound humility and wisdom she judged it right to leave this to St. Peter in order that he might begin to exercise in the new church the office of the pontiff and head as vicar of Jesus Christ, its author and master. She therefore instructed the apostle to hold this election in the presence of all the disciples and other faithful, so that all might see him as the supreme head of the church. St. Peter thereupon arranged it all according to her directions. 53. The proceedings of this first election in the church are related by St. Luke in the first chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. He says that in the days intervening between the ascension of Christ and the coming of the Holy Ghost, the Apostle St. Peter, having called together the 120 who had been present at the ascension, reminded them that the prophecy of David concerning the treason of Judas in the 40th Psalm must be fulfilled, that Judas, having been chosen as one of the 12 apostles, had unhappily prevaricated and made himself the leader of those that captured Jesus, that with the price of his treason had been bought the field called Heseldama, that at the end, as unworthy of divine mercy, he had hung himself, had burst in the middle, and his entrails had fallen out, as was known to all who lived in Jerusalem, that therefore it was becoming another should be chosen to the apostolate in his place in order to give testimony to the resurrection of the Savior in accordance with another prophecy of David. Psalm 108.8 and that the one to be chosen should be the number of those who had followed Christ, the Master, in his preaching ever since his baptism by St. John. 54. Having thus persuaded all the faithful of the propriety of electing the twelfth apostle, they left it to St. Peter to determine the manner of this election. The apostle then ordained that from the seventy-two disciples, two, Joseph, called the just, and Matthias, should be selected. Between these two lots were to be drawn, and that one should be assigned to the apostleship, would draw the proper lot. All approved of this manner of election, which at that time was a very secure way, since the divine power wrought great miracles for the foundation of the church. They wrote the two names with the title of the disciple and apostle of Christ upon as many cars and placed them in an urn where they could not be seen. All of them then fell to prayer, asking God to choose the one pleasing to him, since, as the Lord, he knew the hearts of all. St. Peter, thereupon, drew out a one of the lots, on which was written the name of Matthias as apostle and disciple of Christ. Joyfully, Matthias was accepted and acknowledged as the legitimate apostle, and the eleven embraced him. The Most Holy Mary, who was present at all these proceedings, asked his blessing, and in imitation of her, all the other faithful did the same. Then all of them continued their prayers and fastings until the coming of the Holy Ghost instruction which the Queen of Heaven, most blessed Mary, gave me. 55. My daughter, thou hast rightly wondered at the hidden and supernal favours which I received at the hands of my son, and at the humility and thankfulness with which I received them. Likewise, the loving attention which I paid to the necessities of the apostles and the faithful of the church amid all my joy. It is time, my dearest, that thou gather the fruits of this knowledge, for neither canst thou now comprehend more, nor do I desire— "'Less of thee than that thou be to me a faithful daughter, "'who imitates me fervently, "'and a disciple who listens to me "'and follows me with all her heart. "'Stir up thy faith, then, in order to be convinced "'that I am powerful to confer favors, "'and trust that I will enrich thee "'in unstinted liberality "'with gifts beyond all thy desires. "'But at the same time do thou humiliate thyself "'to the very earth and shrink to the very last place "'among creatures. "'For of thyself thou art more useless than the most vile and despicable dust, and thou canst call nothing thy own except misery and want. Consider well within thyself how great and exquisite is the kindness and condescension of the Most High, in regard to thee, and what kind of thanks thou owest him. If the one who pays his debts, even entirely, cannot take to himself special credit, then it is just, that thou who canst not satisfy thy debt shouldst remain humble." For though thou labor ever so much, and according to all thy powers, thou shalt nevertheless remain a debtor. What shall then be thy indebtedness, if thou remain remiss and negligent? 56. In this prudent alertness thou wilt understand how closely thou must imitate me in living faith, in confident hope and fervent love, in profound humility, and in the worship and reverence due to the infinite greatness of the Lord. I warn thee again of the cunning vigilance of the serpent, who seeks to induce mortals to neglect the veneration and worship due to God, and presumptuously to despise this virtue and what it implies. Into the minds of the worldly and of the vicious he instills a most foolish forgetfulness of the Catholic truths, in order that divine faith may not keep alive in them the fear and veneration of the Most High. And thus he succeeds in making them like to the heathens who do not know the true God, others who strive after virtue and perform some good works. The enemy leads into a dangerous lukewarmness and negligence, wherein they overlook what they are losing on account of their want of fervor. Those that concern themselves more earnestly about perfection, the dragon deceives of the certain coarse overconfidence, so that on account of the favors they receive and on account of the divine mercy which they experience, they begin to consider themselves as special favorites of the Lord, forgetting the humble fear and veneration which they ought to experience in the presence of him, before whom, according to the teaching of the Holy Church, the powers of heaven tremble. But since I have on other occasion reminded and admonished thee concerning this danger, let my mentioning it here suffice. 57. In this manner I desire that thou be faithful and punctual in the practice of this doctrine, exercising it in all thy exterior actions without affectations or excess, and teaching others by thy own example the holy fear and veneration due from creatures to their Creator. I desire that thou teach and impress this science especially upon thy religious, so that they may not be ignorant of the humility and reverence with which they are to converse with God. The most efficacious instruction thou canst give will be thy example in fulfilling all thy obligations. For these works thou must neither conceal nor ever omit for the fear of vanity. This example is due in much greater degree... From those that govern others, since it is their duty to exhort, move, and accompany their subjects in the holy fear of the Lord, which is done more efficaciously by example than by words, and admonish them particularly to hold in veneration the priests as the anointed of the Lord. In imitation of me, do thou always ask for their blessing when thou approachest or leavest them. The more thou seest thy own self favored by thy divine condescension, so much the more bear in mind the necessities and the afflictions of thy neighbors, and the dangers of those in sin, praying for all in great faith and confidence. For thy love of God cannot be true if thou art content with enjoying only thyself, and the meanwhile forgettest thy brethren. Thou must anxiously solicit the highest goods, which thou knowest of and participatest in. For all men, since no one is excluded therefrom, And since all need the help and communion of God and the love of me, thou wilt understand how thou must imitate me in all things. This concludes our reading today for day number 284. We've been reading from volume four, book seven, chapter four, paragraphs 48 to 57. In our reading today, we hear how our lady did instruct the apostles. She explained to them the Trinity, the hypostatic union, the incarnation, all of these different mysteries of our faith. Mary grasped them, and so she wants to communicate the meanings to those who are going to go and to teach all nations, as Jesus commanded them to go and to do. She taught them how to pray mentally, insisting on the excellence and necessity of that kind of prayer. And there was a line in here that said that no other object or occupation should ever be preferred or should ever interrupt this duty. So for us, that might be a good point of examination. Have I ever allowed anything to take the place of prayer? Every day I pray the rosary, but today I'm super busy, and so I've allowed the busyness of my schedule to replace the rosary. That might be an example, but how can we make prayer the priority of our lives so that because of our prayer, everything else is affected by it? something for us to really consider and to think about she exhorted them to give thanks to God for having singled them out as his apostles as his companions as as the founders of his holy church so she wants them to make prayers of thanksgiving for who they are called and chosen by God well we also can give thanks to God that we are sons and daughters of God that we are Jesus' disciples that we have Mary as our mother, so we also can be moved to some sort of thanksgiving as well. And then when it comes to the selection of the replacement for Judas, it says that they have Matthias, they have Joseph, a person also that they are going to select by lot. But Mary knew beforehand who was to be chosen, for the names of the twelve, including St. Matthias, were written in her heart. So that's something to marvel at. The fact of the apostles' names being written on the heart of Mary. But to know, too, I think that we are in the heart of Our Lady. And maybe we ask her, Mary, write my name in your heart. Write your name on my heart. So that we might always be close together in the union of my heart here on earth with that of your heart of the mystical city of God in heaven. And after Matthias was selected, well, then Mary presents herself. Will you bless me, Matthias? And Matthias does so. And then all the other apostles follow suit because they're following an imitation of Our Lady. I think that's something, you know, the fact that the blessing of a priest is powerful. I remember being at a Marian apparition site in Europe and... Uh, People would always ask the blessing of the priest. That was just something that they were accustomed to. Father, can I have your blessing? Maybe that's something that's lost that we should recover. But to imitate Our Lady, just as the apostles did, she gives us this in the instruction today. Thou must imitate me in living faith in confident hope and in fervent love and profound humility in the worship and reverence due to the infinite greatness of the Lord. The apostles imitated Our Lady. Mary is exhorting us to imitate her. And so we try to do that. Maybe it's just beginning with a simple little prayer. Dear Blessed Mother, help me to imitate your life of prayer and your way of life. And as we pray that prayer, as we begin meditating on her life, perhaps we'll see how it is that we are indeed imitating her.